Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, sure, I'm Jay's boss, right? Yeah, we know who the, Jay's boss is. He's sitting right here. Yeah, right. Well, I know you love your pastors, right? You, I mean, you love these two, don't you? Jay and... Man, you guys. Is that Jay and Luke over there? Holy smoke. Wow. Are you, what do you feed the milk and steroids, I guess? Jeez. Wow, I haven't seen you guys for, it hasn't been that long. I guess it, it doesn't have to be that long, but uh, I know you love your pastors, and I, I hope you really understand that these days, and maybe this has always been true, but a pastor who really loves his congregation, and really loves his community, and really loves God, and really plants himself and his family, and really ministers to a community and a congregation, that's a big deal. And uh, Jay and uh, Heather have done that. And uh, I just, uh, this is such an easy church. You know, when I, I oversee six states and about 120, 30 churches. And, uh, you know, this is just one of those nice churches I never have to worry about. And uh, I shouldn't maybe say that, but... <laughs> Uh, it's true, and I feel that way, and I uh, love Jay a lot. So thank you for letting him be a missionary. You know, when you allow your pastor to travel to other parts of the world, and you allow his missionary heart to expand, he, you actually get a better pastor back. So keep supporting that, and I, don't, I know you probably are feeling like, gosh, we don't like to let him go, but let him go. Let him do that kind of thing. You know, just think right now. He's, he's paying the price right now. In fact, he's probably sitting between two guys that are, that are his, his same size. <laughs> one on the right and one on the left. And what is it, like a 30-hour flight or something? So he pays the price for leaving. So support him and, and ask him to, to go on these trips because it makes him a better pastor. So, so I want to talk today about a verse that I'm almost 100% certain that you know and that you've heard before. In fact, it's one of those verses that we kind of throw around a lot and we quote. And, and in fact, it might be the most motivational, inspirational, encouraging verse in the whole Bible. But very rarely, in fact, I can't remember one time, when I actually, and that might be, uh, I didn't ask Jay, so maybe he's done this, but I don't think that I've ever heard a message actually on this verse as it exists in the entire context in which it comes. So, I want us to turn, if you have a, a, a phone, if you have your phone, click to Jeremiah 29, or if you actually have like those old manuscripts that we used to use, you know, with the black covers and all of that. Uh, I still use one of those uh, as well. But turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. You know what verse I'm talking about? Oh, of course. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Now, this is one of those verses that we, we actually see in greeting cards and we quote all the time. And I just want to say, you have your super, you heard Jay say, I am his boss, so therefore I'm pretty much everybody's boss. Yeah, right. And I'm really, to be honest, I'm really not that much of a theologian, but I want to give you permission to go ahead and keep quoting this verse out of context. Because you know what? This verse is true, 
and it stands on its own, whether it's in context or not. So nobody important told me that, and I'm no great theologian, but I just think it's true. So let's read it together and celebrate the fact that it's true for what it says, and it's always true, and it always applies whether I know the whole backstory or not. But here's what I want you to hear. Is everybody with me today? Here's what I want you to hear. What I can tell you is that when you know the story and you know the context in which this verse comes to us, it's even more encouraging than the way it is standing alone. Do you believe that? It's hard to believe because, I mean, this is a pretty good verse. It's even better when you know the backstory. All right? So let's, since it's right there in front of us, let's all read it out loud. All right, let's read it together. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Let's start over again. Let me hear you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Wow! What a verse! And remember that this verse, one of the most encouraging, have I said this already? One of the most motivational and inspirational verses in the whole Bible comes to us from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, if you know anything about Jeremiah, was sort of a Sort of a bummer. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Most of what he had to give was not good news. I mean, he's the grumpy prophet that shows up at the party and basically ruins the party. So in that context of who Jeremiah is, in that context, as we will see, that that the people of God are in, this verse really shines brightly in its context. So, going back up to verse 1, let me read it, and you can read it on your phone or on your ancient manuscripts, and let's, let's, let's talk about this story. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive. Everybody say, carried away captive. That's a big deal. To the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, he's the big bad king and the big, big bad guy in the story, has carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother of the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem, very important point, to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Wow. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace you will have peace. Wow. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets, look at this now, underline this, if you've got a Bible there, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. Hmm. For they falsely prophesy, or prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For this says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So it's a 70 year captivity. You're getting that story, right? They've been carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon for 70 years. An entire lifetime. But you will return, God says. And now, let's read it again together. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So the story starts out, and maybe you've heard the story, of the people of God being judged by God. Make no mistake, this is God's doing. The people of God have forgotten about God. The people of God are living in sin and they have separated themselves from God. And so God is judging them. And His judgment takes the form of King Nebuchadnezzar who takes them basically as slaves and brings them into Babylon to live as captives there. Now this is God's doing. And they know it. And this is the most despairing, most depressing, worst thing that the people of God could even ever imagine. They're ripped out of their culture. They're ripped away from the temple and all the accoutrements and all the surrounding environment that helps them to worship God. They're in the promised land of milk and honey. And they are separated from their culture and from the temple and from Jerusalem and from everything that they know and love to live in Babylon as slaves. It doesn't get any worse than that. And they're living, as it were, in God's displeasure or so they believe. Psalms 129, I think it's 129, I I meant to check it between the service. I think it's 129, not 39, is about this journey from from Jerusalem to Babylon in captivity. And it says, we hung our harps up on the trees, we sat by the river of Babylon, and we wept. And what it's saying literally is we have no more reason to sing again. There's nothing to feel joy about. There's nothing to rejoice in. Our lives are over. It literally says we have nothing to sing about, but really figuratively what this psalm is saying is we despair of life. Not only do we not have reason to sing, we don't have reason to live. Are you with me? Is anybody here today? So, the people of God... As captives from Jerusalem to Babylon, you have to imagine what kind of 
transition this is. I mean, this is like this is like an Amish clan being asked to go live on the Las Vegas Strip. Okay? This, this is like Sin City. I mean, Babylon. It, it, its reputation extends to today, doesn't it? When we, when we call someplace Babylon, that's what we mean. Some sort of sin-soaked, debaucherous kind of place. And now the people of God were being marched there in mass to live in the land of Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah comes to them and he says, don't listen to the prophets because they are lying to you. Don't listen to what they say because I have the true word from God. Now, this is what I want you to to hear, but please don't misunderstand me. Or Jay will have a lot of fixing to do when he gets back because I'm not staying. I'm out of here. If you read the passage and you understand everything that's going on and you really kind of soak yourself in this whole story of captivity, what you will realize is the prophets really, what they were doing is just recounting the facts back to the people of God. They were just, because they really didn't know what else to do. What else is there to say? So what, really what they're saying to the people of God are the things that really were true. They were just giving them the facts. You've been judged by God. Check. You've been taken away from Jerusalem, the place that God has given you. Check. You're going to live in captivity under God's judgment for at least 70 years. Check. That's really what they're saying. And Jeremiah comes to them and he says, they're lying to you. Now how do you interpret that? What does that mean? Are the facts not the facts? Are the facts not true? Are the facts to not be believed? Are the facts a lie? (laughs) As I'm saying this, I'm thinking about our election this year. Thinking the facts. The facts. Where are the facts? What is the truth? Excuse me, I couldn't help for that thought just to go across my mind. Listen, the facts are important, aren't they? Oh, they really are. The facts must be faced. The facts must be embraced. The facts, no one can, can embrace the redemptive truth until the stark truth of the facts are first faced. Is anybody with me today? You know, I'm a, I'm a faith preacher. I believe in teaching faith and believing faith. But I also believe we're starting with with what is real and true. If I'm sick, I start with, I'm sick. Thank you. Not, I'm well. No. I pray for health. 
I receive health. I even confess health. But there's nothing wrong with the people of God telling themselves the truth about what is. Are you all with that? I don't know about you, but I mean, let's live in faith, but let's deal with the facts. If I'm praying for God to bless me, I need to first start with the facts and maybe I need to say, I'm broke. Or whatever it is. It's not that we don't face the facts, but the facts don't tell us God's will for us. The facts don't tell us who God is. The facts don't tell us even where we are on the map of our own lives. Is anybody here with me? The facts are true, but they do not tell us who God is. And the problem with living in the facts alone is that you will never know the heart of God. You will never know the will of God. You will never know His thoughts toward you. The facts are true, but they do not carry the truth. That's why we're all here today. Are you with me today? I see your bright faces and your eyes are all with me. But do you know that the, what is true in the facts does not carry with it the truth of who He is? That's why I think, the, I think this verse is, kind of refers to this when it says, You shall not live by bread alone. Do we need bread? Yes. Do we need facts? Yes. We do not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, I wish wish Heather the D was here. Because D, and Heather knows this, uh, but most of you don't. You, You have to know... You know this. You have to know D. D is the life of the party. D is the personality. D learns everything about everybody's family, and she connects with everybody, and she just talk, 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 talk. I mean, almost wherever I go in the district, this this is the greeting I get. Not hi, Sam. Not. Not, oh, we're so glad to have you. Really, I, sometimes I never hear that. All I hear is, where's D? Really, it sometimes it makes me feel bad. No, I perfectly understand. I perfectly understand that when people see me coming and D's not with me, there's like, oh, wow, bummer. And what you have to know, and one of the reasons why people are like that is because D is just one of those exuberant people that fill the room. And in our relationship, she fills the room and she fills the conversation. In fact, often she, she fills her part of the conversation and she also fills the space of, of my part of the conversation. You know what I'm talking about. If, if you're a husband, just laugh, smile, don't nod your head like this. There was a guy in the other service who was nodding his head like this, and I wanted to tell him, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. So sometimes when we're in a conversation, Dee likes to tell me what she thinks 
and what she feels. And then what she does is she proceeds to tell me what I think and what I feel. <laughs> I just, and I, I want to say, you know, how about if, if uh, how about if you be you? And I'll be me. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? And maybe it would not in your marriage. And I wouldn't even admit that if you, if you have had that experience. But if anyone has ever told you what you think, or if anyone has ever told you what you feel, have you ever, have you ever had that experience where it's like you want to reclaim your own voice? You want to say, wait a minute, it's okay that you have your thoughts, but I know the thoughts in my own head. And even though I know you're my wife, and you know everything about everything, <clears throat> and everything about me, and even things I don't even know about myself, <clears throat> I do have thoughts in my own brain, and I would like to, <laughs> I would like to be able to tell you what they are. So, what I want you to, to see here is that is the frustration that God is literally communicating in this verse. That He's actually claiming His own thoughts. He's actually claiming His own heart to His own people. Do you, do you see that? He's saying, look, the facts don't communicate who I am. Are you under judgment? Are there consequences for failure in your life? Is anybody here today? Are you not living in the perfect will of God? Whatever that is. Are you not living in this perfect idea that you had of your life? Anybody with me today? Alright, if you're more than like five years of age, you get that. Because life happens. And we, I'm not saying that we like the people of God are living in judgment, but I'm saying the story of our lives is that we somehow aren't living in the perfect life that we thought that we would have. And that is the place that all of us are in. And I hear this all the time. You know, people, it's, people can receive, you know, communion. And people can believe, I know God loves me. And people can believe that they're forgiven. But at the same time, we often live in a place where, but at the same time, God's best for me is past. My perfect future, my perfect life, whatever that is, is no longer a possibility because I'm living in Babylon. I'm living in second best. I'm living in plan B for my life. Has anybody ever felt that way? People say that to me all the time, like, oh, pastor, like, you must hear God, you know, you're a man of God, and you're a preacher guy, and, you know, you're living in, 
You know, I'm living in plan B, I think, for my life. I hear that all the time. I want to say, plan B? Are you kidding me? Plan B? I'm on like plan Z27 or something like that. Are you kidding me? Welcome to the human race. (laughs) And if you define your life, if you define your journey of faith as second best, as living in Babylon, and you may be living in Babylon in some ways, but if you define yourself if you define the nature of God, if you define the will of God in those terms, you've really lost faith in God's work in you. And if you've lost your faith in God's work in you, you've lost faith. You say, oh no, I believe in God. I believe in He's good. Yeah, you just don't believe that's true for you. And if you don't believe that's true for you, you're not really living in faith at all. You're just going through the motions, living in Babylon. And if God were to come to you today, He would say, you have listened to lies. And you would get in an argument with Him. I know how this goes very well because I've had the discussion myself with God many times. And I recount facts. Yes, Lord, you know, but this happened, and that happened, and that happened, and this happened. All factual. I'm the attorney for the facts. And I will tell you what they are. And God would say, you are a false prophet to your own darn self. He would say something like that, I think. Because he said it here. The facts don't tell you the truth about me. So when God says, I know the thoughts that are in my own brain. (laughs) This is the frustration that he is communicating. He's saying, I know them. I own them. And guess what? I have a future for you. I have plans for you. And my thoughts of you are not evil. Can you believe that? And these are to people who are under God's judgment. We are not under God's judgment. But sometimes we do find ourselves living in plan B. Which maybe is just in our own mind. Because don't you know that God always gets us where we need to be from where we are now? Do you know that? Do you know God can do that because He's a redeemer? He's a restorer? He's like a GPS that really knows where we are all the time and gets us immediately to where we need to go? By the way, the GPS getting to the church here is a little weird. That has nothing to do with my message either, but it's just, it, 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 I was kind of going around for a while. What about your GPS? Where are you in God's will? And have you been telling yourself lies using the facts of your life? You know, 
you can have faith in God in sort of a generic way. You know what I mean by that? Oh, God's good. He's there. He's real. He's working, you know, maybe in Cape Town. I'm sure he's working in Jay and Heather's life. You know, because they're the people of God. But, you know what I mean? It's very easy to do that. To sort of quietly and almost seamlessly just take yourself out of God's plan for your life. I know the thoughts I'm thinking. (laughs) They belong in my brain and in my heart. And let me tell you what they are, says the Lord. I have a future and a hope for you. Look at this sometime when you go back to Jeremiah 29. He tells the people of God in Babylon to actually live there, to put down roots there, and to expect God's blessing there. And this is in Babylon. Did you notice that when we were reading that through? He says, build houses, plant gardens, marry off your kids, live here, and seek the peace of the city. Because as you seek their peace, I'll bring peace to you. That's about as good as it gets. And that describes the mission of the church in the world. Like nothing else I've ever heard quite like that. And do you know, have you realized that the Jews have been doing this for centuries and centuries and centuries? That they live like this? That wherever they go, wherever they're persecuted to, right? Wherever they're taken captive to, because this story has repeated itself through history time and time and time and time again. They're persecuted, they run from one country to the they're dispersed all over the world, and wherever they're at, they build houses, and they plant gardens, and they prosper, and they seek the peace of the city, and God blesses them. In fact, God blesses them so much that what land that wasn't worth anything is all of a sudden now land that everybody wants and they're fighting over, right? This is what they do. And this is what we do. We assume, wow, what an assumption. We assume the blessing and the heart of God on whatever we do and wherever we go. And we live in the will of God now. And the facts of our lives tell us the the facts of our lives are true, but they don't tell us the whole truth. You know, I was just with our pastors uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I told them that our lives are like those uh, those uh, hologram puzzles. I I can't remember now what they're called, but. um, that what? Yes, or stereograms. That's, that's the other word. Have you ever seen those? They like, used to be popular like years ago. You look at them and it's just kind of chaos. And it's just like, you know, um, colors. And, and just, 
But you look, you actually, if you were looking at it, you would look through it. It would be like you were looking at something right behind the page. Right? You ever done that? And all of a sudden this, like these fully shaped, three-dimensional pictures pop out. That's, that's awesome. That's what it's like to see your own life through the eyes of God. It's to see, oh, on the surface, it's just stupid things I did. <laughs> right? And maybe, it threw, uh, maybe a couple of good decisions mixed in there. And stupid people, other people did. Everybody say amen to that. It's just this like chaos. I mean, that's my life. That's it. I look at it, and that's all I see. But I see into it with the eyes of God. I see into it with His voice saying, I know my thoughts toward you. And I begin to say, oh, there is purpose. There is form and shape and meaning and beauty in it. Even though it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. That's what it means to have faith in God. It's not just generic. It's not just theological or philosophical. It means that you have faith that He's in the business of your life. That He's in it, working in it for good. So if you're here today, and you've sort of parked yourself on the bench, it happens very subtly right up here in our head. We're in the game. It looks like we're in the game. It looks like we're believing God, but really we've set ourselves on the sideline because we know the facts. I want to say to you, let me be Jeremiah. Let me be the messenger of God to say, I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. Amen?